The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Kelly Henderson, and you are listening to the Velvet's Edge Podcast. I am so excited about my guest today, Tara Moore. Tara is the author of the incredible book, Playing Big. And the title of Playing Big describes it as practical wisdom for women who want to speak up, create, and lead. This doesn't always mean becoming your company's next CEO. It solely means chasing your true heart's desires and truths and no longer settling for talking yourself out of them and looking the other way. I personally found Tara from an article she wrote for Goop.com on the topic of why women criticize other women so much. A huge hint is that the answer involves each of our own unrealized dreams and truths. Tara says, to the extent that women are each not fully empowered ourselves, that we are still denying our own dreams or treating ourselves harshly, we will criticize, attack, and try to sabotage other women because it rattles us to see in them what we have not permitted in ourselves. I can't wait for you all to hear this one. I hope that it resonates with each of you the way that it did with me. Here's our conversation. Okay, so I want to start by getting a better understanding of what a truly empowered woman is. I think I was reading this in Playing Big, but you mentioned a mentor of yours saying that American women are liberated, not empowered. What's the difference? Oh, I love that you're starting with that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I when I had first started coaching women, I was so shocked by the level of self-doubt and self-criticism um, that I was hearing from all of us. And of course, I could relate to it too. I had right. all those same thoughts in my head. I just didn't know that everyone else did. And I w- went to talk to a longtime mentor of mine who's my childhood dance teacher. So she was kind of in her mid-70s at the time. And she's a great artist. And I would say, you know, someone who's lived her life as an original and an artist and with a lot of trust in herself and I was just describing all that self-doubt and holding back and she just shrugged and looked at me and said well of course Tara that's because American women are liberated but not empowered and I thought well that summed up what I've been trying (laughs) trying to articulate and get it for years and what I took that to mean is that you know we have the blessing of so many external freedoms now we can vote we can open a bank account we can own financial property you know we can run a business we can we can do so many things that for most of history women didn't have access to and so that's a certain kind of liberation but to take advantage of that fully to live into that fully we need the inner side. We need the empowerment. We need to feel worthy to do those things. We need to give ourselves permission to do those things. We need that self-trust. And that's where I think there's still work to do. There's still work to do on the external front too, no question. Sure. But, but where my focus has been is that um, how do we change the legacy 
the beliefs and the self-perceptions that the culture has left us with. So we can really pursue our dreams, feel free in, in our bodies and in our voices, um, and, and have that self-trust. Yeah, I almost hear it when I was when I initially heard you say that. And then again, when you just kind of explained it, it's almost to me like we have this newfound freedom that maybe we didn't always have, but we're not fully internalizing it yet. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Wow. So beautiful way of saying it. Do you recognize many truly empowered women in your life? Hmm. You know, I think we're all on the journey and we all have places where we're getting freer and more empowered and then we all have the places where we're not right so that could look like you know I really give myself a lot of permission to go for my business goals and I have maybe someone's I have no trouble charging for my work anymore but every night when I look in the mirror I'm completely beating myself up about my body and Mm. I still am carrying that idea that I need to look like the airbrushed person you know in the ad so I think we're all um, in our process of finding those places that still need you know the love and the light and the healing Um, and, and that's more how I think about it versus like looking for someone who has it versus someone who doesn't. Yeah. That now that you explain that, I love the gray area of that because in my head I was like, you're either empowered or you're not, which is a very black and white type of way to think about it. But maybe it's like a work in progress type thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, true around women's empowerment in particular but I also think that's true for human beings like we never arrive completely yeah at our self-actualization or our authentic self we're always that's like the north star and it tells us which direction to move in you know with every decision but but we're never going to get there completely and that's part of I think what it means to be human Right. And we're never going to get there every day. That's what I always get mistaken is like if I if I do something really well one day or I'm feeling very in my body, empowered and free, all of that, then that means that it's there forever. And it's not always. It's kind of like it can come and go as well. So true. Thank you for reminding me of that because I forget <laughs> that too. It's kind of like a joke. I kind of joke with my friends. Like everyone will be like, so I have my new morning routine. I've been doing it for three days. And <laughs> this is definitely my new morning routine for the rest of my life. Like right. we all fall into that, right? I've figured it out. I've gotten fixed. All of those things mm-hmm. I tell myself. I always, whenever I talk about empowerment, especially with women, I think of that quote, empowered women, empower women. You know, that's mm-hmm. like the famous quote that everyone says, which is such a nice thought right like I love that idea when I really sat down to think about it though amongst this conversation I was thinking to myself are we really doing that though mm-hmm. yeah well I think that's an area where there's still a lot of pain um, for women and you know when when I went on the book tour for playing big one of the things that really struck me was every audience I talked to someone would stand up and raise their hand with a question that was something like, yeah, but why is the worst, meanest boss I ever had in my life a woman? Right. Or, but why are so many women backstabbing of each other? And I thought that was so fascinating because the book, the focus of the Plain Big book is very much on your relationship with yourself and what you can do to play bigger. And it was almost like women were saying, yeah, I hear all that, but as long as we're here talking about women, can we talk about this other piece? Because the pain of those experiences of feeling unsupported by a female boss or betrayed by a female mentor was so huge for people. Um, And I believe that we'll never allow in another woman what we haven't allowed in ourselves. Oh, okay. Tell me way more about that. I love that. So, If I'm not, let's say I'm not giving myself permission to speak in a really direct way, I'm still in that place of, oh, everything I do has to be sugar-coated. Okay. And now my friend comes to me 
and she speaks in a really direct way. Or I even just observe her speaking in a really direct way to another woman. But I've policed that part of myself. I've censored that part of my voice. No, 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 no. You don't, you don't have permission to do that. That's what I've said to myself. So I'm now going to find it excruciatingly painful and uncomfortable to watch her doing that because it makes that part of me say, uh-uh, you know, if I've clamped that down in myself, I'm going to clamp that down in you too. And so I might try and clamp it down in her by saying, you know, that's bitchy or um, who do you think you are or go gossip about her to someone else or just drift apart from her in our relationship. Um, or another example might be, you know, if I'm feeling really ashamed about my body and then I have a friend who's getting really comfortable with her body, that's going to be hard for me to be around. Mm -hmm. um, so so th the, the practical piece of that then is that when we notice like what we're not allowing in other women, what we're getting triggered by, what we really dislike, what we're maybe led to gossip about or be very negative about, we need to ask ourselves, what is it that's similar to that that I'm not allowing in myself? Self. Mm. And can I give myself a little more permission around that? Can I work through why did I start censoring that or clamping that down? Um, in order for women to really start doing what you're talking about, empowering each other, we have to um, really get comfortable with that place of voice and empowerment in ourselves. And a lot of us still aren't. Right. This is actually goes into the Goop article, which is how I found you. I was reading on Goop.com and you have a entire article about just women on women criticism and how it is so prevalent. I know it's definitely something I've experienced and yeah. specifically in the social media world. You know, it's like the bigger your business gets. You talk about this a lot in playing big, but the bigger you get, the more um known your businesses or you are or whatever it is, the more you open yourself up to praise and criticism, obviously. Yeah. But what's been so interesting to me is I would say 98% of the criticism that I get is from women, from other women. It's all very private. It's like, you know, the private mm. profiles, it's name calling, it's bashing, it's derogatory names, even going as far as to say, I've been very open about my fertility issues, but going as far as as to say, like, I don't deserve to be a mother. And these are people who don't know me. So it's been fascinating to me because I'm like, how can you hate me so much if you don't know me? And how do we criticize each other like that? Like, what has made that socially acceptable? Right, right, right. And, I, you know, I think it, that really is um, in, a, in a patriarchal culture where, there's a kind of lashing out at women that's acceptable that we just don't do with men. Mm -hmm. There's a huge double standard of like what we expect of women versus what we expect of men. So we would expect you to, you know, be this and that and the other all at the same time and deliver everything in a nice and tidy way, like all right. of those kinds of double standards. But, you know, again, I think that's really often a reflection of what those individuals haven't permitted or made friends mm. with in themselves and whatever they're policing in themselves, if that's unconscious, they're going to be very uncomfortable if they see that thing in free, in free, you know, roaming free in front of them and want to police it and tamp right. it down. Um, and there's also, of course, issues of scarcity, you know, and, and many people have commented on this, that if you're, we're still in a culture where there's going to be, you know, one token woman, often allowed on, let's say, the board of the company, or there's going to be one token woman promoted to the executive level. And so that naturally also creates some dynamics of uh, competition and scarcity among women that are just quite different from what evolves among men. Right. So because there's not as many options. I was going to ask, are men as critical of other men as women are of other women? You know, that dynamic is 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 I think not there. You don't have the scarcity thing that we're just talking about. Right. You don't have the same levels of self-censorship, but we could see the analogous in, for example, like men are taught they have to, most men in our culture, most and most boys in sort of a mainstream, in the mainstream of our culture, they're taught 
I have to police my tears. I have to police my sensitive feelings. I have to police in myself anything that would be considered feminine. Mm. And then you can see how then they go police it in other men. Okay. Right. So if they see another guy crying, they're going to make fun of that or they're going to, you know, um, I'm going to toughen you up or even like a fraternity hazing thing, right, is a way of saying I'm not going to allow, you know, we're all going to have to suppress our emotions in the same ways that, um, that, you know, if I had to, if I had to become tough and unfeeling when I was, you know, on my way in here, so won't you. Right. So that dynamic, you can see in men, what, what is getting policed tends to be more around sensitivity and emotion in women. It tends to be more voice and power. Um, but that same dynamic is going on of if I've had to censor it in myself, I don't really want to see it in you. And so I'm going to act out of that. Wow, it's such an interesting thing how long those programs have been intact for us because what you're talking about, I mean, that that you would think nowadays with all of the movement forward that we have had, especially with women's rights and all the stuff that you talked about at the beginning of this podcast, that maybe some of those internal messages would have changed too, but I I don't know that it has yet. Yeah, I think things are, you know, there's so many different ways to look at it. There's ways in which it's getting better and we can look at things like, you know, women and entrepreneurship and mm-hmm. business and, you know, financial earning power, see that things are really changing. On the other hand, you can look at girls and eating disorders and mental health and and there's a lot of evidence maybe we're going backwards. Right. Um, also, even in our media, a lot of the statistics, unfortunately, suggest that you know, women in film, for example, like you used to see a much bigger range of female characters in movies in terms of, you know, what what you saw about women's emotions, women's anger, women's voices, women's sexuality, that's actually narrowed a lot um, in media. So um, it's a complex picture. But the big message, I think, is we all have to recognize that those external changes and those legal changes policy changes that's not the whole picture there's also the whole psychological side of women's marginalization that was passed down in our families and the way we were raised in our culture for hundreds of years and there's just some unlearning and and learning to do you know and sometimes I say like if you were born in this moment you were hired for the transition team meaning we're in this huge transition (laughs) from a world that's been largely defined and led and designed by men to one that's hopefully going to be led and defined by women alongside men. And so this is the transition and it'll probably be multi hundreds of years transition. Yeah. (laughs) So we don't need to get impatient with it, but it, it can help sometimes to see yourself as part of that larger movement because Mm -hmm. instead of being frustrated, like, Oh, why isn't every, you know, every promise of women's empowerment true yet? It's more like, yeah, I'm on the transition team. We're in the era of the transition. It's going to be very muddy with lots of different steps forward and back. And I can be part of that. Right. What would be some ways that you would say women could be a part of that? Like the change, the actual change, like what can we do to take steps forward within ourselves to where we're not criticizing each other when those things come up for us, we're actually like switching the narrative to like, Oh, you know, what's going on with me? Kind of like what you said earlier. Yeah. Well, I think anytime a woman is really, um, in touch with how is she, how does she want to play bigger in her life Mm -hmm. and what's her playing big path? That's, that's her contribution. Okay. And so to me, you know, my definition of playing big is playing big is being more loyal to your dreams than to your fears. Mm. So it's very individual for each woman to say, what are my real dreams? You know, and not the dreams that Pinterest told me I should have or not the dreams that, you know, this person that I follow on social media, my, my ego might think, okay, my dream is to have my life look like them or not the dream that your mother-in-law has for you, but no, 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 your real dreams for your work, for your impact, for your life, for what you want your day-to-day to look like. And then that alone usually scares 
the heck out of all of us. Like, right. <laughs> once we realize what that is, that's like, oh my God, wait, it was actually way easier to like just compare Go myself through the to motions. others yeah. or like listen to somebody's yes. shit. Okay, are you talking about that thing? You know, that thing that I've rationalized away for the past 10 years or that thing that seems so crazy or uh-huh. that thing that seems like it would take so much courage or it's so scary. Like, yes, I'm talking about that. And that's what we can start by at least allowing that dream to be our dream, like admitting it. And that okay. doesn't, at first that doesn't even mean you're not committing to pursue it. You don't have to know how you're going to get there. You most likely will not know how you're going to get there, but it's just saying, okay, I'm going to admit, I'm going to admit that that is the dream. Um, you know, and I always, I, I remember this time when I, when I, for myself first, got in touch with, oh, I want to work in the personal growth world. I want to, you know, do things around psychology and spirituality. And I, at the time I was working in the nonprofit world and I, but I had always, my whole life, you know, had this huge love on the side of personal growth and psychology. And I remember like when I finally was like, yeah, that, that's what I want to do. And it had to kind of knock at my consciousness for many years. And then I said to my husband, like we were lying in bed at night, you know, falling asleep one night talking. And I just, I just think, you know, I think I want to like go do be like a personal growth writer, teacher. And, you know, and, and I whispered it because it felt that tentative, you know, it felt that much like this is so tender. I can't even say it fully out loud. Yeah. And of course, I thought I was like announcing the news of the century. And he was like, I know that, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, like everyone no, else knew it except yeah, for you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So the first thing is just admitting it to ourselves. And the second thing is then to greet that in a friendly way, you know, okay. to stop playing the skeptic. You are not like the shark tank judge of your own dream. That's not your <laughs> job. That's somebody else's job. What? That's what I do every day. Right. (laughs) Tell myself all the reasons why it will not work. Yes. And we're taught that that's what it means to be realistic, right? Right. And to be rational. Right. No, that's what it means to be um, skeptical. Those are two totally different things. And because, um, you know, kind of that the patriarchal energy in our culture is valued so much more, like be rigorous, be tough on yourself versus the maternal energy of nurture something, give it a little food, grow it, give it a hug. That's not valued as much in our culture. And so we stop acting that way with our own dreams. But we need right. to be like more like that nurturing mother to our own dreams. There's a time for skepticism. There's a time for rigorous evaluation. It's much later down the line and it's much more specific. It's not for every moment. You know, for most moments, it's, oh, I hear you. Okay, honey, that's the dream. We're going to try and go do that. I don't know how, but I'm at least going to be on your side. So those are some of the first steps. If you know anything about me, you know I am a massive creature of comfort. It is one of my top priorities in life to make my surroundings comfortable at all times. So when I found Cozy Earth, I quickly scooped up all of the luxurious bedding and loungewear that I could. It felt very on brand for me, but then I went on a trip with a girlfriend not too long ago where she could not stop commenting on how cute and comfy my pajamas were, which then made me realize they may also be my new favorite travel companion as well. Guys, I am not kidding when I say you will experience unmatched softness and smoothness with all of Cozy Earth's products. The temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew add comfort and a touch of style to any travel ensemble, and their bedding comes in the most adorable totes, making it a super easy gift to give anyone. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code VELVETSEDGE at the checkout for an exclusive 35% off and let them know we sent you when you're at the checkout. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. 
with the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so once you accept whatever it is your dream is, and then maybe you even start working towards it, um, a lot of your conversation moved to feedback. And I identified with this so much because you talk a lot about just our need as women for praise and then the effects of criticism and how it can just be crippling for most women. I think it's for most humans, but specifically women take on those things a lot bigger than men apparently so can you talk a little bit about your mentality on feedback because you talk about a radical idea and when I read this in the group article I was like oh my gosh that's it it's just that Mm. simple yeah yeah so the radical idea is that feedback can never tell you anything about yourself It can only tell you about the person or the people who are giving the feedback. Okay. That's like a mind blowing thing to me. (laughs) I mean, right. It's such a simple statement, but it blew my mind. How is that possible? Because what they're saying is about you. Right. So let's like do a couple examples. So let's say, um, what would be like a typical, maybe a, a sample job or project that one of your listeners might be working on? We can use an example. Oh, that one of my listeners. Or I mean, we could use like a blog post because I think you talk okay. about that too. And I think these right. are pretty, yeah, you, people could, you know, relate this to if you're doing some work as a lawyer or you're writing up something, a different piece. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's say I write a blog post and let's say I get like, you know, a hundred lovely comments on the blog post, like a lot of positive feedback. Right. Now, our our typical thing would be to say that feedback's telling me something about me. So in that moment, it would be sort of like, ooh, I wrote a good blog post right. today. Or it might be I'd have that momentary feeling, see, I am a good writer or I am meant to do this. So I'm making it about me. But that, even in this instance, with positive feedback, that's going to set me up for some problems. Because if that's my line of thinking... On the day when there's zero comments, right, then that means, was, am I not a good writer anymore? Right. <laughs> am I not meant to do this work? Or if I get negative feedback, let's say, you know, I don't get much positive comments and then like three or four people, um, uh, or let's say I get a bunch of unsubscribes that day with that, right? So yeah. if I make that about me, again, oh, um I'm bad at this, maybe I don't know how to write clearly or whatever I would say. But are any of those facts true? Like, could we say it's true that I'm quote unquote a good writer? Does it tell us that, that I got a hundred blog comments? Does it tell us that I'm a bad writer, that I got zero comments, right? We can see there's really no facts about me in that feedback. Um, There 
is potentially some information about my audience. And that information would be like, oh, something about that post that got all those big those comments, something about that was resonating with them. Maybe there's something there to learn about their interests, about the maybe the tone of the piece or the length of the piece that resonates with them. And that piece that got zero comments and some unsubscribes, maybe that's also telling me something about what they want or um, what their needs are from, from this reading that they're doing. If your manager at work says to you, you know, you're really well organized, but you're, you know, not a great team player. Okay, what facts do we have about you from that? Mm-hmm. Do we know for sure you're well organized? No. Do we know for sure you're not a great team player? No. Really, the only information we have so far is something about your boss's perception. And perhaps if we were to inquire more from your boss, we'd learn like we could learn a lot about your boss. What do they see as organization? What do they see as making someone a good team player? What are they looking for in you? So the feedback is always about the perspective and priorities and preferences of the person giving it. And when we know that, the, an important piece to, to, to go with next with that is that that doesn't mean that it's like, oh, this isn't about me, this is about you, so screw it, I'm going to ignore right. all of it. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, okay, you recognize it's information about the person. The next thing to ask is, is this person relevant to me, to my goals? You know, if this is my dear beloved sibling telling me the feedback, they're really mad from the thing I did, that I might decide, yeah, that's really relevant to me to go learn more about that. If this is my boss and I want to keep this job, yeah, that's really relevant to me. If this is a random person who follows me on social media and it was, you know, three people gave similar feedback out of thousands, is that relevant to me? Probably not. If this is, you know, if my boss loves what I did, but there's one other senior person in the organization who was in the room and didn't like it and made some comments telling me that, that's a real ambiguous question. Is that person's feedback relevant to my career goals? Yes or no? Sometimes the answer is no. But a lot of women, we don't ever ask this relevance question. Everybody's feedback is relevant because we're trying to be likable to everyone and we think we're supposed to win over everyone. No way. You only need to win over who you need to win over or who you want to win over. You know, you only need to incorporate feedback when it makes sense in terms of your goals and priorities. So you ask, is this feedback relevant? And then if the answer is yes, then the question is, okay, knowing it's about them, what does it tell me about them and how to work with them effectively, how to be in relationship Mm -hmm. with them effectively? And when we frame it that way, we don't take it personally anymore. So we don't get defensive. We don't go on the emotional roller coaster. And then feedback can become like a superpower because we're really able to use it in an emotionally neutral way. Right. I. It's so interesting because I did not realize how much I viewed feedback as fact. So it was like if the feedback was bad, then it can cripple me to not even be not want to do anything anymore, you know, not to put things out there. If the feedback is good, it justifies everything I'm doing, like you said. And I like the idea too of it not putting us on the defense and taking it personal because, you know, I think this can go for relationships a lot. When you get feedback, it is about how the person is interpreting that event. And so that's why communication is so great. And like you said, if it's a valuable relationship, then it should be a situation where you try to understand it and work through it. But it doesn't necessarily say anything about you still, because that's what I always want to defend is like, wait, 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 that's not true for me. Does that make sense? Right, right. Exactly. And, And in a way, we should never go to the question, is the feedback true or not? Okay, it's, that's such a distraction, because it's always, it's just some reflection of that person's perspective. And right. so in that sense, it's true for them. But the factual truth of it is there is no factual truth of it. You know, and even like you can I'll often, you know, take people through this exercise of, yeah, let's say as a woman, you get the feedback that, you know, you're, you're too um, aggressive or abrasive right. in your communication, which is a really common piece of feedback. So is that factually true if you were a man? 
Would that be true if you were in a different culture where both genders are, you know, socialized to be more direct? Would that fact still be true? No. Maybe even if you were in a different industry, that wouldn't be quote unquote true. So all of this feedback, it's always dependent on the context of who's giving it, the culture it's being given in, you know, sometimes the company culture, the industry culture and so on. That's so interesting. I noticed that a lot too, being a woman from the South, you know, we kind of hold these like standards to the way we communicate, the way we act, even like the age we get married um, Mm. before, you know, just because of the societal pressure and that actually has nothing to do with each individual. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, thinking about um, just not taking feedback personally and also just focusing so much on your own life instead of others, realizing your own dreams, wants, all desires, all the things we've talked about so far really makes me think about your book, Playing Big. Um, I told you I've been listening to the audiobook all week and then I ordered the paperback so that I can go back through and highlight all the things that I want to take away with me. Um, I, I did not realize how much I was playing small. I had no idea. Mm. And then I just mm. caught myself. I said, does that make sense? Did you hear me say it? <laughs> Which That's is something, a hard one. Even it's I so hard. <laughs> you talk yeah. about a lot of things that we do as women to get, you know, it's the apologies, the I'm sorry's. I know um, that was a big one for me to kind of get over in the last couple of years. Also saying just, I just, I just wonder or kind of, you know, making ourselves small. What causes women to do this, to make their voices and their ideas small? Yeah. Well, some of it is like we learned, we learned the lesson that it can be risky and we can be punished for not doing that. And like, especially with these speech habits that you're talking about right now, Yeah. most girls learn at some point that it is a bit risky (laughs) to, you know, without apology, without hedging, to go in and confidently state an idea. We might get a snarky little comment from someone, you know, well, oh, oh, don't you know how to be the boss? Or, you know, don't be too bossy. Or, you know, wait, listen to their idea first. So we very quickly learn that we have to navigate this incredibly tricky, pretty much impossible double bind of like, somehow I have to get my ideas out there, but I have to do it so softly and without offending. And so that's how we end up getting, you know, in these odd situations, like a woman was just saying to me, um, she works in a pretty senior level in finance in a very male dominated industry. So she's, you know, she's had to be very groundbreaking in that way. But she said, I still go into the partner meetings. And I would start by saying, you know, everything I said, I would say, I'm sorry if somebody thought of this already, or I'm sorry if you've all thought of this yeah. already, but da, 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 da. And then someone had to really tell her, you know, you can't, you can't keep doing that. So we learn that, that we have to kind of find this tricky way of like getting our voices out there um, without threatening or without coming across as too arrogant. The problem is that we, we can overdo that and we can do it when it's no longer necessary. Like just because when we were five years old or 10 years old or in that first job or whatever, it really stung when someone made us feel like we were being arrogant or we were being bossy or we were speaking out of turn. That doesn't mean we should keep going with all the habits that came from that right now in our lives. And a lot of times it's just that conditioning things we learn to try and protect ourselves from those criticisms. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of research showing that women often are perceived as competent or likable, but not both. Whereas competent men, or likable. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So men, we don't, you know, in our culture for white men, we don't have trouble perceiving a man as likable and competent, right? And you can think of all these images we might have of like, oh, you know, he's the the, the CEO of the company and he's also a great guy. He's so generous, kind of like the, the benevolent patriarch figure. Okay, right. Yeah. But when we comes to women, we get like the devil wears product kind of thing of, Oh, okay. She's the highly effective CEO, but she's the ice queen. Right. Wow. So she's highly competent, that. but she's not likable right. or she can be the sweet little housewife, but she's really likable and lovely, but nah, she's not that competent. Right. Right. So, and interestingly, um, research has found that 
that's not just a gender thing. Like you can also look at cultural stereotypes and see how we even can stereotype different cultural groups. Oh, these people are really smart, but maybe we don't think of them as so likable or this group. Oh, lovely down to earth, likable people, but we don't think of them as then the geniuses. Right. So it's with any, with any sort of person that doesn't have the most um, high status identity in our culture. So in our culture, that tends to be white men, but whoever has that high status, they can be seen as likable and competent, but everyone else gets divided into one of the two categories. So unconsciously, we kind of know this, right? Like, that's why you're saying, does that make sense? And just this, we're saying, how do I show my competence, but still be likable? Right? Mm. That's kind of what's going on unconsciously there. And so the, the more deliberate thing we can do as women is, is think about how do I fully feel free in showing my competence, but also convey warmth. But the warmth isn't going to come out in ways that diminish me. Like, I'm sorry, bud, or I don't know if you already thought of this. It's going to come out in positive ways. Like, I'm so happy to get to be here with you guys today. I'm really looking forward to hearing your perspective. Or, hey, before I tell you my great idea at this meeting, I want to, you know, first we're going to just talk a little bit about the weekend and connect a bit as humans. So we can show that warmth in positive ways instead of what most of us have learned to do, which is, I'm going to damp down my competence in order to seem more likable. That's true because when I say it a lot of times, and you write about this in the book, but I know what I'm saying and I'm certain it makes sense actually because to me it does. And I say that to, to almost like, I don't know if it's to make sure the other person gets it or they're comfortable or if they don't get it, you say, that's okay. That's for them to say, no, I don't understand. Not for you to go, does that make sense to downplay what you're saying? Right, exactly. And you could say, how does that sound to you? Yeah, or okay. what are your thoughts and questions about that? So you're still making what, this is what um, John Gottman, the psychologist, he calls it a bid for connection. Yeah, Right. It's a bid for connection. And that's healthy. And I think that's a strength that women bring as leaders. Right. As we're saying, I do want to check in and know how it landed with you. I do want to know if my audience is tracking. I want you to know I care. The problem is when we do that in ways that then undermine us. Right. So uh, if I just shared my idea and I'm passionate about it and like you're saying, I know that it's great. And then I say, did I make, did that make sense? Yeah. Did I just make sense? Is that clear? Like maybe I'm unclear. Maybe my idea makes sense. Now I'm undermining myself instead of I can still make the bid for connection, but in a positive way. What do you think about that? Or what, tell me what questions you have, right? That That's another way to do it. Okay. Tell me the woman that you wrote this book for. Oh, what a great question. You know, I always think about one of my first coaching clients um, who was, I I talk about her a little bit in the book, but she was, um, she worked inside a large nonprofit organization and she was kind of, she was very anonymous inside the organization. Like she had sort of in a support role job for someone else and was, you know, doing a lot of paper pushing and administrative kind of work. And she came in for coaching and it turned out like she was reading every single journal in her field and she had all these incredible ideas. And then she was doing all this reading in like two or three adjacent fields and putting ideas together in a really interesting way. And she had this huge vision for like change in her industry and critique of what was going on, but none of it was getting out and no one around her knew anything about it. It was like such a secret. And so with her and with other clients, we really tried to figure out like what's going to help that be liberated. And I'm so happy to say now, you know, this is 10 years later and sometimes I'll just get her, her, updates on LinkedIn and it's like she has her own like totally cutting edge consulting firm now with two other women and they're doing all the stuff and she's got you know she's like you just look at her she's so expressed in her style and um, known in the industry and you know that for me is the dream it's just like the gems that are inside of all of us actually get to come forth 
Yes. What I also want to point out is we've done a lot of talks about, you know, the ambition piece. And I always associate that and maybe even the terms playing big with super successful CEO, you know, leader of a company. And those things are wonderful. But I loved that you said in this, uh, this, this goes back to the Goop article. But you said this doesn't simply mean your ego's ambitions, like playing big isn't just that, but it's a pursuit of whatever your heartfelt dreams are your for your life and your passions might be. So it could be anything, right? For sure. And in fact, you know, also like in, in those early years, um, there was a woman in, in our course, in the online playing big course, who got this promotion in her company that everyone had been fighting for. It was like there were 20 people at one level and one person got to level up into this role and she got offered the promotion. And she thought long and hard about it and she decided that her playing big was turning it down. Wow. Because she loved her team and she was in the middle of leading her team through this five-year project. And she said, I don't want to leave in year three. I want to see this thing through. I care about the project. I care about my team. And she said, I had to really disagree with my company's culture where there's all these fast promotions and everything is up, up, up. And people are moving around to try and get the biggest raise and title. And it hurts the value we're providing for our customers. And so she turned it down on that basis. And it was such a powerful decision. It was such a feminist decision in my mind because it was also putting the emphasis on relationality and results instead of kind of the hierarchy and then of course you know after a few years went by the leadership came back to her and said now you're so known for being this remarkable manager who sticks with your people and sees things through and now we want to give you an even more senior role right but yeah (laughs) it, it can mean going for a bigger title or salary it can mean turning that down it can mean doing something that looks big to the world or it can mean doing something that nobody else even understands and often Mm -hmm. it will mean you know doing something nobody else understands because sometimes the reasons those dreams are so scary is because it's not what looks big by the world eye. It's like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit my, you know, lawyer job right before I become partner and open my knitting business. Right. That might be playing big for someone, and that's a very legitimate form of it because it often is countercultural. Right. Right. So it truly is. It's just whatever it is that's true for you and the desires of your heart. Yeah. And paying yeah. attention to that. Yeah. I love that. Well, if you're listening and you're feeling lost or you're talking yourself out of any dreams or desires you might have, I'm going to say read this book. (laughs) It's called Playing Big. Mm -hmm. It's been super helpful to me. Um, Also, on taramore.com, you have 10 rules for brilliant women that I thought was a great piece. It's just about the 10 principles for owning your brilliance and bringing it to the world. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Yeah. um, The 10 rules... um, are you know a, a lot about the things that we are talking about today, like questioning the voice in you that says you're not ready yet and being a little more of an arrogant idiot. Yeah. Find out what that means in the rules and how do we really support and affirm other women. And it's a quick read, but there's also a workbook that goes with it that takes you through applying them in your life. And that's all free and on my website, just taramore.com slash 10 rules. Amazing. Also, we were talking before this about the courses that you offer. They're playing big courses, right? So are you taking people through the book? How does that work? Yeah. So the courses have been around actually since before the book, but now often people come to them through the book. Um, They're all online, of course, and it's a six-month journey. So I really value having time for people to make real change in their lives, which I don't think we make by just getting a lot of information dumped on us. Yeah. So there's time to really practice like new habits of mind and new behaviors and and run experiments in your life with support. Um, And it's live calls if you want to attend live. So you get that benefit of really like being in a workshop setting with me and with other amazing women from around the world and lots of coaching and Q&A and um, practice applying the tools. So the next one of those will start um, early in the new year. And then our earlier than that, our facilitators training begins. That's in the fall. And that's um, for people who want to learn the playing big model and learn these tools, not just for their own playing journey, but also their playing big journey, um, but also 
to bring those tools into work they do with others. So whether you're, you know, we have coaches and health coaches and um, people who are in management roles or mentoring roles, teachers, therapists, um, who weave this toolkit into what they're doing. Um, And that's a really amazing global community as well. Well, and we know those dates will stick because you can do this while in quarantine. So if we get stuck this way, (laughs) nothing will change. Where else can people find you, Tara? Yeah, taramore.com, Tara Sophia Moore on Instagram. And I think those are the best spots. And more is spelled M-O-H-R, you guys. So check her out. Tara, thank you so much for being here. I, I signed up for the course. So I can't wait. Yay! <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes. Thank you for this fun conversation and all the insightful questions and just for for drinking up the material. It's really, it's always such a pleasure to talk to someone who like got it and got the nuances of it and gets excited about it and I really yes I'm very excited about it and I hope for all the women listening that this is something I I want us to all team up together and just start empowering each other instead of taking each other down because I think we have a lot of power to do that absolutely thank you so much again and thank you guys for listening this is Kelly Henderson and you've been listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast I truly believe that every one of us has a little velvet and a little edge. So it's so important to remember that to be strong, you must be soft too. Thank you so much for sharing in those stories with me. You can follow Velvet's Edge on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as velvetsedge.com. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me every Wednesday for more conversations on lifestyle, beauty, and relationships. Thanks for listening. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.